Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You either are grateful or you're not. Mm. You don't project confidence. You either are confident or not. And so I think so much about posture and the why and all is really about building who you are on the inside. Because if you genuinely are that, people feel it. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today. Uh, excited to introduce you to our guest. We have a, a, a very fun, interesting human being who has so many different events, stories, and, and aspects of life to share with us. I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. And uh, before we go there, just want to thank you once again for helping make this one of the most uh, successful, popular leadership podcasts in the world. Uh, and for the shares, the recommendations, the likes, uh, I just actually this week got a report from one of the sharing services about how people are sharing the podcast. And frankly, I have no idea the magic technology underneath this, but 40 some percent of you are sharing the podcast via WhatsApp and text messaging, which I found fascinating. So thank you for those shares and thank you for all that you're doing to be a human-centered leader and spread the message and the movement of human-centered leadership. All right. In that vein, today we have with us Dan Ram, who travels the globe as an event MC and speaker at over 100 events a year. He hosts changemakers like President Barack Obama, billionaire founders uh, Sir Richard Branson and Reid Hoffman, F1 champion Nico Rosberg. I mean, this guy has met some interesting people, Grammy-winning artists and celebrities, works on four continents from college campuses all the way to parliaments to in-house corporate innovation days for Fortune 500 companies and the biggest tech conferences in the world. His passion is to inspire people with his motto, start now, start simple, in building a future we all want to live in. And Dan, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you so much for having me, David, and to our audience. Hello, thank you for tuning in. And as David said, thank you for making this not just content that you enjoy, but content that you share, ultimately, this is the power of community and growing together and learning together. So for sure, share the podcast, share the episodes, let the world know about the importance of what you're learning here. All right. And hopefully, and I know we're going to learn some more. And even your passion to inspire people, Dan, with your motto, start now, start simple. We got to dive into that a little bit. Building a future we all want to live in. I, what I, uh, so one thing I didn't tell you, the, the name of my most recent book is Tomorrow Together. And yeah. it's all about that notion of how we build a better tomorrow, but doing it together and, and various stories around that. So I know we've got some alignment there. Anxious to learn more about your work. You're logged in today from Abu Dhabi. You're there for a little while before, or you, go, you said you go next to India? Correct. And then, and, then, and then Ecuador, and then eventually back to Europe and Germany, where you spend a lot of the time when you're not working somewhere else. So that uh, intro was not just, you know, you were on four con continents once upon a time you set foot on a continent, like you're hitting <laughs> a few of them just to the next month. So, <laughs> yeah, we were actually doing the numbers on 2022 
and over a hundred speaking engagements and coaching engagements on four continents, I think 40 plus cities around the world, took 60 plus flights, 50 plus trains. So I am a man on the move because I believe that, like you said, in an inclusive society where everybody has a role. So it doesn't matter if it is a high school or whether it's a CEO of a Fortune 50 company or whether it's a government leader or an educator, everybody has got to work together, has got to elevate their game to create this world that we live in. We have to be active participants. So I believe passionately in that mission. And so I go everywhere and anywhere. I actually flew here from Azerbaijan. It was my first time ever in oh, Azerbaijan. Wow. And I was delighted to meet the, the top investors and bureaucrats of the country and to get a sense of where they're at. You know, the conversation on innovation, the future in Azerbaijan is very different than here in Abu Dhabi, uh, where I am for the next couple of days, very different from India and Ecuador where I'm next. So it is a joy, it is an honor to be a part of these conversations and to hopefully be a bridge between some of these communities. I'm looking forward to, to learning more about that process. Um, to, to get to know you a little bit better, if you could take us back uh, uh, to your earliest memory of yourself yeah. uh -huh. as a leader. Uh -huh. First time you saw or see yourself as a leader, how far back, what is that experience? What, was, what happened? Leadership for me had to be uncovered and discovered. It wasn't necessarily natural. I was a stereotypical introvert, and I use that language stereotypical uh, intentionally. So a nerdy, shy, socially awkward uh, child. But I no more believe that introverts have to be those things. I think that is a stereotype, but I think introverts, I continue to be an introvert, except a high performing introvert that is on stage and in front of big crowds of people and is able to not only enjoy, but thrive in the company of others. So as I said, I was a stereotypical introvert back then. So leadership was not something that was given to me, nor was it something that I expected of myself. That said, there were moments that I realized not only did I think about doing something differently than others, but I took the initiative to do it. It may not have been in front of a team or on uh, in front of a crowd, but I did it anyway. So I remember in high school, maybe even middle school, I heard about this concept of Halloween. So for those who are listening, you may think I'm American, but I'm not. I'm Indian, born in UAE, living all over the world, but I'm not American. So Halloween is not something that's very common. I remember hearing about the idea of Halloween. I remember suggesting something of that nature being done in my neighborhood in India. And I remember some reservation to this concept uh, of witches and goblins and demons. And so we decided instead to do a, like a, a fair, you know, a, a fun harvest event instead. And so I got my friends in the neighborhood, people that previously I was cycling with or building Lego with, we were only like 12, 13, 14 years old. And we all got a table outside on the badminton court and each of us was uh, given. So we, I said, you can do whatever you want. You can do a magic show, you can do a game, you can uh, sell something, whatever you want. Just do something at your table and let's invite the neighborhood in. So I remember even when I heard kind of a no or resistance to an idea thinking, well, there must be another way and let's do it the other way. Um, my school in Zimbabwe had an incredible music program. So I went from knowing three or four instruments to knowing eight. Then my next school in Morocco, um, 
did not have a music program. And I remember not being okay with that and deciding to on my own teach students and teachers music before school, during breaks and after school. And through that sort of incentivized and created an excitement for music as a core part of education and contributing then to the teacher that was eventually hired as a choir master and others. So I think I have always just taken initiative and been like, you know what, I believe in something. I, I, I think I should see it through. And even though the resources may not be there, even though the opportunity may not be there, um, I still want to persevere and try anyway. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, while uh, uh, my wife and, and business partner, Karen uh, Hurt and I focus on business leadership, we are both huge believers from our own experience and our own kids and all the work that we have done with young people uh, that kids have so much to offer in terms of their ability to do. I mean, when you're talking about what you just did when you were 12, 13 years old, taking the initiative, making those connections, creating something that didn't exist before by bringing people together. Uh, and what a, a amazing ability resides in our children. Love Absolutely. That. And I think something that is not spoken about much is the importance of community around that. You know, I had my parents supporting, I had neighbors showing up and even like with the school, you know, they gave permission to use rooms and facilities to be able to. So it's super important to also, because not everyone can be, or I would say even should be a leader, but I think everyone should be an active member of the community that encourages, that pushes and propels leaders, uh, not just celebrates them, uh, but also holds them accountable, also yes. holds them responsible, um, uh, and, and helps them achieve the best that they can achieve. So. If you're a leader, fantastic. There's much to learn from this podcast. But also, if you're not a leader um, and don't see yourself as one, I, I still think you play a crucial role as the number two, number three. And at some point in this podcast, um, I'm going to share with you how currently I no more want to be number one. I am number two. And that's something I say. That is my role, number two. So I am a leader that is not the front line. I'm the one that supports the leader. And I take that role very seriously. And I think that's super important. I was lucky I had parents and a sister and friends that pushed me forward. Um, and I wish that for all others who want to rise up to the top, that they're surrounded by encouragement and love. And, and you know, what occurs to me as you're saying that is uh, first smiling because nodding vociferously, if, you, if there is such a thing. Can you nod quietly, but with vocalism? I don't know. But, uh, you know, what's occurring to me is that regardless of whether we hold a positional leadership title or not, we can do exactly what you're talking about as a member of, because we all, there's some leader in our life somewhere, uh, and it may be at, at uh, it may be at work and frequently is, even if we're a position, you know, I might be a frontline leader, I might be a middle level manager, there's a leader that I'm supporting, encouraging, holding accountable, doing, I'm still a part of that community of that team, just like you're, you're describing. And that's available and important for all of us to step into. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And also if we break it down, David, and I, I know you've got multiple books on the topic of leadership, so I dare not uh, try to uh, try to give you an opinion because you are the expert on this topic. But to me, leadership is about service and serving people. That is what leadership is. A leader, a leader, a true leader serves and I think the role of number two, number three, number four is also the same. So ultimately we're actually doing the same thing, regardless of the title, we're just serving. Just some are visible and some are not. 
some were in front and some are behind. Some are on the right side, some on the left side, but they're all serving. So we're actually doing the same act of paying attention and serving. Absolutely. And no pre-apologies for sharing your opinion and perspective. That's what you're here to do. The, uh, I, I like the analogy of a choir. You know, when it comes to, to human-centered leadership, there are so many of us out there singing. And part of my desire for this show is it brings together all the voices in the choir. And that we've got, you know, and it's, it's when you have that one voice and you get two voices, when you have 10,000 voices, that's a whole different sound. So I'm glad that you're lending yours to the, the, the song here. So Dan, you had mentioned uh, that uh, this role of being number two, and I imagine that has something to do with being an event MC and some of your work, um, that there's some correlation there. And I, and I see the through line back to the 12 year old who's connecting everybody together to uh, accomplish things. Give us a, you know, because I think most people listening to the show, if there's one person in the audience who has experience emceeing, that might be a stretch. So tell us about what that's like, what you enjoy about it, how you got into it. Let, let's just explore that for a little bit, because I know there are so many different leadership angles to it. Oh, I love this. I've actually never talked about it from the perspective of leadership. So emceeing, bottom line, the glue of an event that ties together what's happening backstage, what's happening on stage, what's happening on production, what's happening in the crowd. It ties and is the bridge between the speaker and the audience, is the thermometer that determines the engagement and attention level of the audience and do, does what it takes in order to have a receptive audience for whatever's happening on stage. And ultimately is the firefighter that deals with every and any problem that comes up with any live event. There is an endless uh, list of things that, that can go wrong and do go wrong. And we have to deal with it in real time. So it is all of the above. There is no uh, qualification or certification for it. There also is no bootcamp or training. It is just all real time learning and doing. I fell into this job by accident. Now, of course, when we look through life on a, in a rear view mirror, we see the clues and the indicators of how we got to where we were. But I studied economics at Yale. I did an MBA at Trinity College, and I'm currently doing a PhD in entrepreneurship. Those don't equal MC. <laughs> I see MCs that have a journalistic background. I see MCs that have an entertainment background. I see MCs that have a radio uh, jockey background. I mean, MCs come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. For me, it certainly is because of the multicultural upbringing. You know, I grew up the son of an Indian diplomat. So we grew up in seven countries around the world. So the ability to not just see difference, but know how to engage actively with what is different. Um, also multi-generational, you know, when, when you are ambassador son, you are having friends over uh, who are your age, but you're also entertaining people who are much older and much younger, and you have to do all the above and you have to stay a diplomat. And, and so uh, that training growing up, but also this wasn't my first career. I don't even know what number career this is, but I think the journey of getting here was equally important in my qualifications as an MC, because after graduating, I worked uh, in KPMG, I worked for the UN, I worked for World Vision, I was an advisor to the Irish national government on the national policy on entrepreneurship. I worked in charities. 
I worked in social media. I built my own companies. I was a professor at university. I did all of those things in my 20s. And all of those gave me insights and perspectives on the sort of people that show up on stage. So there is genuine empathy. So when I interview an investor, I put on the investor hat that I would have had. And I ask the questions that make sense when I am introducing a startup who's about to pitch and they have three minutes to share what they're working on. I remember the years I spent slaving away at my company and the pressure of putting all of that into three minutes. So when I look into their eyes and I introduce them, I understand how important these three minutes are. It's not just another agenda piece. Mm -hmm. So all of this is what led me to being an MC. And I discovered this, I, I got on this, I got on this road, what was it? I was 31, so five years ago. So this is actually quite a recent uh, career path, but, and I know you've interviewed people on the topic of flow state, uh, when there's alignment with what you were created to do, I mean, the last five years have been nothing less than exponential, totally unexpected growth, development, and I hate the word domination, but I am so in the right place. I wake up feeling so alive. There's nothing in this world that I do better. And I know it's not just I that feel it because there's no way I would go from zero events um, to now doing over a hundred a year on four continents. So when it hits, it hits right. And for me, it was 31, but everything along the journey, including being a 12 year old and being said, no Halloween party, but yes to a harvest party, were all part of this journey of getting there. So I hope I answered your question of what an MC does and how I got to being an MC. Absolutely. So that, uh, the firefighting and taking responsibility for the event, uh, and everybody's both the, the participants, the audience members, the leaders who the reasons they're putting the event on in the first place, and then the people who you're introducing. And one of the things that uh, occurs to me, Dan, as you're describing that is the extent to which you see people that you truly try to see them and their needs and that you're taking responsibility for those things in the performance of your responsibilities. Yes. This is where the introvert training is really important because introverts are keen observers. We're spending more time watching and listening than we are speaking. Ironic because right now I'm answering all the questions, but even though you're talking I, to another introvert, <laughs> <laughs> even though my public persona is that of a speaker and that to a very energetic, dynamic, charismatic speaker. Most of my life is actually spent reading, watching, observing, uh, strategizing, thinking, and also unfortunately overthinking. Um, so this is, this is what introverts are very good at. And I actually think this is a superpower when you're on stage. A, I would say a beginner speaker focuses on content to communicate. And I think an experienced speaker or MC spends more time reading and hearing the audience than on just projecting what they have rehearsed. And why introverts are particularly good at it is obviously the audience is not talking back. All I have to work with are little things like hand going through hair. What does that mean? A knee that is shaking. What does that mean? Uh, maybe someone pulling their phone out. What does that mean? Uh, a little smile. And these things also are culturally different. So how a Polish audience reacts 
is very different than how an American audience reacts. Very and also it depends on the age. It also depends on the exposure. If it's the first time they're seeing you, if it's the tenth time they're seeing you. So you have to be so present in the moment to be able to pick up on such small things. The other thing that is even harder to do, in my opinion, is that everything I just shared, you have seconds to read and react. Yeah. So I don't have the luxury of giving a five minute opening monologue. Hey, my name is Dan Ram and I'm dancing da 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 da. And then look at the audience and go, what's happening? As I'm walking up on stage, I'm making eye contact and I'm going, can they hear me? Is the music background too loud? Is my mic on? Uh, are they seated? Are they standing? Are they distracted? Are they focused? That's happening in real time as I come on. And that tells me when I should start with, good morning, everybody, and welcome to. And even as I'm speaking, I have to see, is the energy too high? Is the energy too low? Am I overdoing it? Am I underdoing it? So as those words are coming out, I am responding in real time. And that's not just on stage, that's also backstage. Because when a speaker comes, so you may, if you Google me, find videos of Richard Branson with his hand around me or Obama coming in to give me a hug. We, we are not best friends in real life, right? Um, what I had was seconds or minutes to make a heart to heart, you know, eye to eye connection with yes. an incredibly significant person who spends all their time in front of other people. But somehow in those couple seconds, I have to carve out a connection. And that again is seconds of judging, reading, you know, are they comfortable? Are they not comfortable? Are they confident? They're not confident. Do they need something? They're not. So this is to me what I think introverts are particularly good at because we know what it's like to be an outsider. We know what it's like to be overlooked. We know what it's like to want to say something, but maybe not be the first to raise a hand or to just blurt out an answer. And I, I always think about the introvert in the room. I always think about the, the importance of connection and belonging. Um, and how can I do that in, in the platform that I've been given? It's such a beautiful approach to the craft. Uh, and so many of the different portfolio of experiences, talents, and, and abilities that you're bringing to, to bear there. You know, you said a couple of things that I want to tease out and go a little deeper on that I think are of use for our audience, for leaders in, in their work in, in different capacities. And the first is that sense of, and I, you know, as you were describing coming out on stage and having to read the audience the environment, everything else and calibrate. Uh, I don't do a hundred events on stage a year, but I do do some. And the, that process, it's interesting because when you break it down that way, yeah, there's a lot going on, but I hadn't thought about it in that capacity. I just, you know, just do it, <laughs> you know, you just come out you think. And the, the translation that I want to make is that I think every leader, if we're doing a good job or for effective at our work, has that same walking into a room, needing to read the room, needing to understand the people, needing to take responsibility for their experience as a member of that team, as somebody who we're supporting to achieve the, the goals and outcomes that we're doing. And so that's the first connection is, all right, as a leader, I need to take responsibility for the room, the environment, the people, the outcomes, the same way that you are for an event. So my question is, Knowing that that comes somewhat intuitively and through practice for you, it's uh, it's you're conscious of it, but it's that unconscious competence that's there and that you certainly have have invested in. 
are there suggestions that you have for leaders to become better at connecting at taking responsibility? Are there, are there certain questions that you regularly ask yourself? Uh, I'm curious how we can translate what you're doing into some practices that might help leaders to do some of the same thing. Cause I think it's a critical skill. It's a great question. I, I want to uh, start with a part that you said before about intuition and practice. Absolutely. Some people are born with it, but I actually believe a lot more in hard work, effort and practice. There's a different power when you overcome what you think you were not good at to then uncover or discover. So I'm not a leader by intuition uh, or by nature. I'm a leader by practice, by efforts, by observation, by failing, by learning, by doing. I'm not a communicator by intuition. I am that by just doing the same thing other people do, watching TEDx talks and inspiring uh, characters in movies and going, what is it about the way they move their hands or their eyes or their vocal, uh, you know, acrobatics, what is it that they're doing that helps get attention or keep attention? So yes, there are, there is leadership that is innate, but there's certainly leadership that is learned. And for me, I'm biased because for me, I'm certainly down the road of learned. And I'll say there is a different power and authority because I don't take it for granted. Mm. I still get nervous when I go on stage and I love that because it makes me more attentive. It makes me more present, keeps me more on edge that so I'm never apathetic or lazy to the craft. Yes. Um, in some ways, like in Europe, I'm probably one of the top MCs out there, but there isn't a day that I don't spend thinking about how I can grow and learn because uh, I don't take it for granted. So just on that point, yes, intuition is real. Uh, being born with a gift is real, but oh my gosh, I'm all for hard work and practice and effort and just trying and learning by failing and learning by doing. Um, and, uh, and learning by observing. You had lots and lots of learning and then the work going with the learning. So that said, what have you learned? <laughs> what have you learned? What can we translate? So to leaders that, um, that want to grow in this area, uh, Simon Sinek put it best in this whole golden circle of what, how, and why. But I always ask the question of why. I want to know why something matters. I want to know why people are listening. I want to know why I am on stage. If I can answer the why, everything else follows. If I spend more time thinking about the process, what I'm saying or how I'm saying it, I think I've lost the core of why I'm on stage. So I think empathy is about why. Um, and if you want to translate to either a boardroom or to uh, you know, speaking to your team when they show up, if you can answer why it's going to matter to them, why it matters to you and you're able to build that connection then i think it also will be a heart connection on on stage or in a boardroom or in your office cantina wherever it is that you're assembling and meeting people so that is one of the questions that i ask is the big question of why second i i never expect or demand attention i think i come at it in uh, a posture of gratitude and humility rather than I am the boss, they need to listen to me, or I am on stage, um, they need to hear me. On the other hand, I think of it more uh, through the posture of, I'm so grateful to be here. 
I'm so humbled that of all the people that they could have on stage or have on this podcast, I'm the one that's chosen. Therefore, I will what? Because I think the posture directs how you speak. If you go, well, I got 35 minutes to be on the podcast and here are my five talking points. I think it's less effective than I have a chance to also learn from David, who is an author and co-author of so many books. I have a chance to hopefully reach an audience that maybe have not heard of me, but maybe there's something about the MC journey that might inspire or excite them. Um, it's coming more from a place of curiosity and hopefulness um, and genuine interest to give something of value rather than, yeah, iron my stripes. Obviously, I'm being interviewed. So I think posture <laughs> is important. And yeah. I think that's the other question I ask is, what is my posture uh, in this role? And, oh, and how can I represent that posture? These are beautiful questions. So very practical, beautiful questions for every leader. So recapping, walking in, meeting our team, having a conversation, going to the board, whatever it is that we're doing, starting with why am I here? Why are they there? What is it we're trying to accomplish? Really digging underneath that and to be in service to that outcome and to those people. And if we're starting with that, then that leads into that second one is what's my posture? And do I have a posture of gratitude? Look at these people are here to work with me. They have chosen to show up today. That is something I can be grateful for. They've chosen to contribute their time, energy, effort, creativity. And I love that part. I, 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 I love the posture and the gratitude piece. And I talk about that regularly. I have not heard the therefore said yeah. just that way. I thought that was really important. I'm going to show up with a posture of gratitude. What am I grateful for? for therefore i will mm -hmm. and that stem and what you're going to do as a result of that gratitude so critical that's such a practical way to approach things and wow what is it you're absolutely right what is that shift that happens when we can approach things that way absolutely you know i think sometimes we over engineer and over complicate things and, and coming back to the you know the, the the innocence and beauty of children you know, we unlearn a lot of really valuable things. Um, so at the, I think at the basic level, you know, humans, we're not too far from other animals. Dogs know instinctively if you love them or you don't, if you're afraid of them or you're not instinctively, they don't understand the words coming in your mouth. They don't understand the language or the accent or the culture, your economic status. They don't know any of that. They feel it. Most animals feel it. Same with children. You know, you will see someone who's not a parent being able to comfort a crying child. Um, I love the videos of air hostesses that will come to the rescue of a parent that is beside himself with exhaustion because a child feels their parents' exhaustion and responds to that. And they got this really loving air hostess that cradles the child and lulls them to sleep. It's incredible. Humans, there's so much that we're feeling at the subconscious level. And I think it's so much about possessing, not projecting. So you don't project humility. You either are humble or you don't. Mm. You don't project gratitude. You either are grateful or you're not. Mm. You don't project confidence. You either are confident or not. And so I think so much about posture and the why and all is really about building who you are on the inside. Because if you genuinely are that, people feel it. They don't need you to say it. They don't have to hear it. They just feel it. So don't over engineer and over complicate the right words or phrases or suit or lack of suit or mic 
handling. Those are all important and they all certainly emphasize and help. But the most important is possessing it because if you possess it, people feel it. So powerful. Dan, I've got a couple more questions I have to ask you. But before I do that, if people are listening and going, wow, I have got to get this guy for my next event. Uh, you know, I know he's busy. I know he's got a lot going on, but I at least want to talk to him or learn more about you. Where should we go to connect with you? Just look up Dan Ram anywhere online and you will find me. I am very active on social media. For me, communication is not just on stage, but is every day. And I love that social media can connect us wherever in the world we are. I'm active on LinkedIn in particular, as well as Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. So look up Dan Ram. The official handle is I am Dan Ram. And do not be surprised if you get an immediate response from me. I have a terrible habit of responding almost immediately to direct messages and emails, whether by text or voice notes. Um, I just don't see how social media has to be different than real life. I mean, if you came up to me, David, on the road, you go, hey, Dan, how are you? And I took a day to get back to you. You'd be like, what is wrong with this guy? And I treat <laughs> social media like a conversation. So you will get direct responses from me and not from my team. And I hope that doesn't throw you off. If it does take an hour, you're probably on stage somewhere. That's true. Or on a flight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So uh, Dan Ram and uh, I am Dan Ram. We'll get those links in the show notes. Okay, Dan, before we uh, wrap up a couple, two, I got two more questions just burning in me right now. One is about connections. So you're just mentioning connection and social media and so forth. But earlier you mentioned having to quickly connect to, in some cases, uh, you know, some big name, big personalities like uh, Sir Richard Branson or, or presidents of the United States, things like that. And again, leadership skill from a networking perspective and building relationships. Our, our next client, customer, team member, best friend is only one relationship away, one connection away. What recommendations do you have? How do you build connections quickly? Very good. I actually did a YouTube video about this. So the question is, can I uh, remember everything that I had said in that, in that video? So a couple quick tips. One, lead with questions, not answers. I think many people like to do the talking. So if you ask a question, the other person will engage with you. If you do the talking, maybe the other person will disengage. So lead with questions, not answers. Second, find conversation points of mutual interest. I work very hard in my opening questions to either try to figure out if there's a country in common or a person in common or a passion in common and start with that before going to what we want to talk about. Third, I always lead with my most interesting stories. And that's really important because I think connections are focused on basic human emotions like love, intrigue, curiosity, hope, and not based on data points or statistics. So if I say uh, Germany's country number 11 that I'm living in, that's a data point. It's hard to have an emotional connection to that. Uh, but if I were to ask you, David, do you have a favorite kind of beer? Have you heard of Oktoberfest in Germany? I was just there. You should come next time. Maybe this is interesting, right? A random Indian guy living in Germany in Oktoberfest, not the most common site. So try to be interesting. In fact, if you listen to my, my talks and my TEDx talks, I often lead with the, with the story of me being attacked by a lion when I was 16. 
because the average person has never been charged by a wild lion. And so even though I'm now 36 and it happened 20 years ago, it is still probably one of the more interesting things to have happened to me. And so I lead with that. So those are just some quick tips. Lead with questions, not answers. Uh, find areas of mutual interest and build bridges on that. And then be interesting. Please do not read your LinkedIn profile or state your background. These are not interesting to anybody. Honestly, it's not. Uh, so find the human element that is interesting and build on that. Fantastic. And and boy, when you talk about uh, leading with something that's interesting and, and emotive, uh, I, you're, you're correct. I have never been charged by a lion. That said, the shot of adrenaline that happened in my amygdala in like my back brain, just because of picturing the situation, like I didn't even tell the story. I'm like, right. oh, wow. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> That's a great example. And, you know, we all have our things, but obviously that might not be ours, but okay. We're, we're running out of time. Final question. You, you mentioned it earlier. You said we were going to get to it. So I got to ask being the number two leader, your goal is not to be the number one, it's to be the number two. Walk us through, what do you mean by that? And from a leadership perspective, what can we take away from that and use in our leadership? I firmly believe that my success is not independent or my own effort. I absolutely believe that whatever success I've experienced is because of a good God. I'm a person of significant faith. I, I do not believe that it's just my own effort that has got me here. I did not choose the skin color I was born into, nor the height or, or my facial features or my ability to think the way I do. All of these were gifted to me. Um, I believe that God gave me these. I did not choose the parents I was born into, but I'm so grateful for them because my community brought me to where I am. I think about the many communities that have shaped me realizing that I was not just a tourist or a visitor in these countries. They molded me. They gave me insights and perspective that are so beneficial. I'm a product of everything around me. And I am so, so grateful. And I think it was at 29 or 30 that I realized that. Um, of course, when you have significant success in, in building startups and things like that, it is easy to think it is your own abilities. I think that was that moment when I was 29 or 30, I just realized, what do you, it's because of everybody else. Um, I just happened to be the one that they invested into and, and I'm so grateful. And so at that point I thought, what if I flipped the switch? What if I was that person for other people? Because mm -hmm. the amount of impact that I can have for the remainder of my life is limited. But if I invest in everyone else around me, imagine the communities that that multiplies. Imagine the number of people that are affected by that, right? In my lifetime, maybe even if I average 200, 250,000 people that I see every year um, live, that still expires at some point. Well, what if I spend time working on their leadership, their abilities, their public speaking, and their communities and their outreach? So that was part of it. One was just a focus on impact. You can only have so much impact if the product is yourself. But if the product is everyone else around you, that impact uh, multiplies. But second, it still comes back to values and posture. Um, it was, the, it was a realization that I am only as good as the amazing people around me that invested in me. Uh, I would not be who I am without them. And I heard horror story after horror story of female, and I'm sure you've had women in leadership 
feeling so betrayed by the system, uh, even betrayed by other women as they move up. And I thought, why, why this brokenness in our system? When I think about youth that feel disregarded um, and not noticed, not appreciated uh, in the workspace. When I see even leaders, and you know this, I mean, I think loneliness is one of the things that hits leaders the most and how isolated they are um, in their positions of leadership. I thought, but I can be there for all of them. I can be the one that supports all of them. I can support the, 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 the young female employee who is on the way up to top leadership, but for now is being overlooked um, by the male dominant uh, industry that they're in. I can support the young entrepreneurs that are trying to move up. I can support the leader who is in that position of leadership, but is feeling alone. And so it really was like calling. It was that mission that will also help me as number two uh, in this thinking of being number two. But also, I must say, I'd be lying if I didn't say, I just relish it. I love it. You know, it's so nice to not have the responsibilities of a company or the world on my shoulders. It is so nice, on the other hand, to only think about the well-being of great people around me. I mean, that's all I do. I just think, even on stage, it's just multiply, right? I just think, okay, Rich is about to come on stage. And I know, okay, he's, he's traveled long distance. He's getting old. Um, people are very inspired by him. He's got all these stories that he's going to share, but right now he's exhausted. And all I'm thinking is, I wonder if he wants a glass of water. I'm not thinking, can I get an autograph or can I get this? I'm just thinking, I wonder, I wonder what he needs for his well-being so he can be uh, well on stage. And that, and then that's all I do, and that's my act of service. But that tiny act of service builds a connection because I make eye contact with him as someone who cares about him, not as someone who's about to interview him. Because how an interviewer looks at him is very different than someone who's just going, how about your well-being right now? You know, so this role of number two is actually really, really fun. I sleep so well at night because all I think is, have I done my little part on this planet to to bless and to love and to care for the people that came across me, whether they were in the shops that I visited today, whether they were on stage that I was on, or whether it's just someone that I met in the audience. I give the same attention to someone who meets me after a show as I do to people who are part of the show. So. This is some of my rationale and reason for being number two. I wish there were more books on how to be number two. Maybe we can do a whole podcast on that because I think there's a science that I've been uncovering. Um, there's a whole different set of questions that a number two person asks, but there's also some great videos. And I think everyone has seen the viral video of the one person dancing in the crowd and nothing happens. They've been dancing for 10 minutes and then that second person comes and joins them. And all of a sudden that first person goes from looking like the town idiot to someone who starts a movement because it's the number two person that makes that difference, not the number one person. So there's, there's already a little bit of talk on number two, but I think there's a lot more to unpack uh, about that. And for me as an MC, I think this is a great role because the keynote speakers, the ones who sell the tickets are number one, but I play a very essential role, uh, role in making that number one really look good, but also connecting it with the masses. And without number two, that bridge never happens. So much to take away there. So uh, recapping before we wrap up first, Dan, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard as an author is write the book you wish you could read. It sounds like you've got a book ready to come out of you. <laughs> it's just burst and ready to go. So if that book isn't out there, it sounds like you've got one ready to ready to rock. Uh, number, number two on that, uh, as we're as you're talking, that is what you just described is an expression of that second principle of connection and service that you mentioned earlier, which is 
you're looking at the world with that posture of gratitude and, and how grateful for you are for everything and everyone who has made you who you are. Therefore, I will act and support blessing, investing in other people and helping them uh, the way you are. And, and what a, a wonderful outworking. And I think what I can guarantee is that you will get more than one or two or three people who listen to you today right now and say, yeah, yeah, I want to do that and join you in that movement and that mission. I, I can guarantee that because I will certainly be on that list and I know you're going to have others. So thank you for sharing uh, your journey, your sentiments, and some of your, your practical leadership wisdom. Really appreciate you being a guest here on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you for having me, David. And also thank you for all the work that you do behind the scenes and getting these uh, interviews in. And of course, big shout out to Brooke and the rest of the team as they edit all of this together. Um, and to the audience, thank you for listening. I hope there was something of value that came from this. Uh, Dan, I appreciate you hollering, giving Brooke a, a shout out. And I want to give a shout out to Michelle as well. That's the full team on this podcast. And uh, so you're absolutely right. Doesn't happen without them. And they have also helped make everything uh, what it is. So we appreciate them. Listener, we appreciate you. None of this happens without you. So where can you not project humility or gratitude, but possess humility and gratitude. Adopt that posture and therefore you will be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.